Welcome back to the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by the star of this show, Mark Wiley. Uh, we'll be without Will George today, his cohort, in our rendition of A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. We're on episode 99 right now. We started last May. We're already up to 99 episodes on the network. This is episode 11 of A Day at the Yard. Uh, Mark, glad to have you back. We had a little bit of a break with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then the New Year's and had some hiccups with scheduling with some guests, but we've got a great one today for the audience. I'm excited to have him on. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, Dan, give, Dan oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, let me give a reminder to our guests and then we'll get right with, with Dan. And so we've got right now, we're over 9,000 subscribers. Uh, we're very, very lucky to have a faithful, loyal fan base. Reminder, download, listen, like, and subscribe. We love that you're listening, but without the, the download and the subscribe, we don't get credit for it. And as you know, we're doing this with no ads and no sponsorships. So we've, we've denied ads and sponsorships. So we can give you straight content. So we've added a segment to the show to support our great hosts right here, like, like Mark and Will. We have a, a site on Pratheon.com right now with the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. So if you feel like you're enjoying the show and you want to give to the show, please go on Pratheon.com and, and donate to this so we can keep going with, with your podcasts. Six a week right now we're giving our audience. Follow us also on Twitter. Our guys have gotten me to get out of my cave a little bit, and we're now on Facebook and Instagram. All of it is at Coach and Kernan, so please follow us on those three. And then if you need to find our show, if it's not popping up automatically, go to Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. And we'll keep bringing it to you guys every week. We've got building base, better baseball IQs with our stories, with our instruction, and especially with our guests. So, Mark, I'll turn it over to you to introduce our special guest today. Great, great. Uh, we're so happy to have Dan Jennings, who – I've been lucky enough to work with is with the uh, Florida slash uh, Miami Marlins. Um, you know, Dan comes from a baseball family. His dad was a baseball coach. His son's a coach. Um, he played at the University of South Mississippi, graduated from William Carey University. Uh, you know, he started his career. It was a long one. He was a head baseball coach at Davison High School in Mobile, Alabama, while he was there, he became an associate scout with Cincinnati. Um, you know, it's funny. He's been with a lot of organizations from there. He became a uh, area scout with the Seattle Mariners, moved to cross-checker with the Mariners, became scouting director of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, named vice president of player personnel with the Marlins, named general manager of the Marlins, and then became the manager of the Marlins. Um the interim general manager, I mean, the interim, interim field manager for the Marlins. He's now uh, a special assistant to Mike Rizzo, the GM for the Washington Nationals. Now, the thing about Mike is that, you know, he's been with five organizations. He's approaching 40 years in professional baseball. He's been involved in constructing two World Series teams, um, the 2003 Marlins World Series team that beat the Yankees and uh, the Washington Nationals in 2019. So, you know, we're talking about somebody that has has sat in almost every seat other than being an owner um, in baseball and, and has helped construct, you know, two championship teams. There's not a lot of guys that have done that. Um, his Some of his things that he's been involved with, he was the on the board of directors for Major League Baseball Scout of the Year program. He was director of Professional Baseball Scouts Foundation. Uh, 
He was elected to the Southeastern Professional Baseball Hall of Fame uh, in 2004 and 2012. He was elected to the Professional Baseball Scouts Hall of Fame. Um, he has been, he's signed or developed, I think, well over 50 major league players. Um, we're so glad to have you, Dan, and excited about getting some of your insights in different areas. Thank you, Wiles. It's uh, it's really an honor to be on this with you, uh, you and Dave. And uh, I miss Will not being here, another great person who I truly respect uh, when I'm at the ballpark with him. And I appreciate the kind words. It's been, a, as you alluded to, it's been a fun ride for me. And there's very few hats that I haven't worn in this game. And, uh, you know, I just really – I feel blessed and, and truly honored to have the opportunity to be in the game as long as I have and the different capacities and uh, great memories and stories from each of them. And uh, just been uh, been a fun ride along the way and um, certainly hope that it continues. I'm, uh, I'm energetic and I love this game and I want to see good things happen uh, going forward the rest of this career. And um Again, one of my favorite times and memories is the time that you and I got to spend together in Miami. I have tremendous respect for you as a, certainly as a baseball man and a pitching coach and many conversations that we had and the things that you shared with me uh, are utilized today and in, in the things that I do and uh, just a, a tremendous person. And when you called and asked me about coming on, very excited for that opportunity. So thank you guys. That's great. I, you know, you know, you've, you know, we all know that it kind of starts from the bottom from scouting, you know, amateur scouting and you were successful scouting director at Tampa and you understand how hard it is to evaluate amateur talent. You know, it's hard enough at the top of the draft uh, where, you know, where there's a lot of, uh, you know, you got to decide what, which one of the top 10 you might want to take, but it's even harder at the lower levels. Uh, what might spark your interest when you were scouting, when you were watching and gathering information about about a player that might not be uh, a high that's a, that's a great question. I, you know what, Wiles? I, I do believe this in my heart, and maybe it's old school, but I will always believe it, that the most important job in an organization that's probably overlooked or in terms of the breakdown, one that is not truly thought of in a great it? way, uh, in, in, uh, outside the industry is that of an area scout. But inside the industry, those of us that are inside truly know the value of what the people who work a territory, what they bring and what they mean, because they build a rapport and they build a relationship with the players that uh, your organization is responsible for drafting. And when you have quality people in an area who take the time and the effort to work and get to know the players, some of the most important things they can bring to you, obviously, other than the tools and the things that you scout, are the makeup of a player. You know, what type of competitor? Uh, is this guy a worker? Is he a good teammate? And so many facets of that, and when you're putting a draft board together, truly are the differences in making a good selection or just making a selection because 
the talent tells you that it should go at this point in the draft, but yet the makeup won't allow that player to reach or be the best he can be. A couple of examples that I've been blessed to be a part of uh, are two pitchers that uh, I think for sure you had one of them and maybe both, but um, big game James Shields was a 16th rounder. Jason Hamill, who we had in uh, Tampa, a 10th rounder. And while they were not at the top of the draft, and even right here in my hometown, uh, Jake Peavy, who was about, I think, a 17th rounder, when you when you see those guys that maybe when you see them in high school, they may not grade out at the top end of the draft, but what they show you is a better usability of the stuff that they have. And the other factor that goes in, and you cannot measure it, there is no analytical formula that allows you to do it, is their heart, their competitive desire, how they handle adversity, how they handle failures, their ability to execute pitches, their abilities to get the most out of what they possess. And when you see that at that young age, you know, they may not light the radar gun up at upper 90s, but what they can do is take a low 90s fastball and use it, make it a weapon for them, and they understand how to get outs at a much earlier age. And when you get one of those type guys in the draft, especially from about the sixth, seventh round on, they they truly become a draft maker because they what they are able to achieve in their career, the success they have, they go well above and beyond uh, uh, from a standpoint of a drafted player, their success rate. And when you factor those in, if you've done your job and you hit on the higher picks, then you you truly can say that uh, your staff has put together a tremendous, tremendous draft class. You know, it's funny, you know, people just don't realize how hard these area scouts work and how they're how good information gatherers there are and how they can be a fly on the wall and nobody's around and see things that maybe some other scouts don't see. Um, I know I was with an organization at one time where our one of our top draft picks had uh, had some real off field issues um, that was never discovered before he was drafted. And, you know, after, you know, he went through rehab, we had a lot of things and we had him talk uh, to our scouts. And he said, gee, you know, I never, I, I would leave and go home and I would, I would smoke dope and do this and that during, during, uh, uh, during school. Uh, anytime I had a break, you know, and he said, you know, all the, everybody knew I did it. And, and it was funny because one of our scouts says, because he says, can I, can I make a, can I make a statement? And, and the scouting director said, yeah, sure. And he goes, you know, it's real hard. You got to get in to find these things out. He says, one thing I do is I'd never sit with the other scouts. I sit with the student body and I take my radar gun out and I ask one of the students, Hey, you want to hold the radar gun and shoot it for me? And he says, of course they do. And he says, I start talking to him and I start talking about players on the team. And he says, they'd tell me everything. He says, so I would at least have 
an inclination that this guy might have some issues. You know, and all the other scouts went, wow, we never thought about doing that. But that's how you learn. No doubt about scout. it. And I, some of the best scouts that I've ever been around, when I say best, I mean the most productive. Because for me, that's one word in our business that's been lost is the production of a good scout. And the better scouts are those who produce and they produce players. Um, but they're savvy. They're they're street smart. They understand, you know, how to get information and and they work different angles. It's uh, they don't follow the pack. They don't follow the crowd like the old uh, an old scout. When I first started, told me a long time ago, eagles fly solo. And there's a lot of truth to that. And um, but I, I've had guys, area scouts in the room, point blank, tell me about not only first rounders, but first round picks who were going number one in the country. DJ, do not take this guy if he falls. I do not want him. And that is as valuable because of the information you're getting about a makeup or a potential issue that will not allow that player to become who he needs to be. And, um, it takes a selfless guy who's all about the team and not about himself to bring that information forward, realizing that it's going to be in the best interest of the organization. Dan, what are, there's, there's a lot of information that comes along with deciding, you know, what player is the right player for each organization. What are, what are some of the inputs that you can share with our audience that you would be receiving along the way on one individual guy and maybe some key questions that you would ask those people giving you the input to, to help decipher, you know, who's right and who's not. Cause you've made some great decisions over your career. And um, I dare say it's, it's not luck. Um, share some insight. Um, on this I, you know what? I, I have to give credit. I, I think any, uh, any productive scouting director will tell you it's about the personnel that you have around you. And there's plenty of credit to go around and certainly enough, uh, enough blame for a scouting director when things don't go right. For me, Dave, probably the, the number one question that I want to know is, is a player mentally ready? Is he ready to go out and begin a career as a professional? And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of players in the world who like baseball. Man, they're good at it. It comes easy. They're the big fish in a small pond. But you got to love it at the professional level. You truly have to love it because it is a game, but it's also a job. And I'm, I make certain that, you know, I drilled our scouts about the mental part. Is he mentally ready to go out to go through the trials and tribulations? Have you seen this player fail? Have you seen him have adversity? How does he handle the adversity? Because this is a game of failure. It's going to happen somewhere in this business, usually often, and how you handle that is going to determine your ability to create success for yourself. And then, you know, the other part is the character, the makeup. Is this guy a good teammate? Is he made the right way to be a self-starter, motivate himself? And what you find is the area scouts, and, and this is a beautiful part, especially the younger the scout. When you're a scouting director, conviction is a, is a great thing. And when you're getting ready to pull the trigger and spend the owner's money 
whatever that dollar amount is, you need to know that that area guy is convicted on how much he believes in that player achieving his level of success. And I, I've been in rooms and meetings where I've had an area scout so excited to talk about his player that he couldn't be still. He was, you know, he was trying to sit in his chair, but he couldn't. He jumped up. He's he's being animated. He's giving you all the things that this guy can do and why he feels and believes that, you know, this player will be successful. So when I see and feel and hear those things as a scouting director, it gives you conviction to ride with that scout, knowing that he truly has worked hard enough to have an opinion on that player and he's doing it for the best interest of the organization and not a selfish reason. I like that. I think in today's, I spent most of my time, even though I played minor league baseball, I, I coached college basketball for 20 plus years and you hit on a key phrase and I hope our audience is, is paying attention Today's athletes are very afraid, from my perspective, of exposing weaknesses. And maybe it's their parents more than anything else. Um, and as, as you mentioned so uh, articulately, that's important Absolutely. for you to see. You want to see kids fail. You want to see how they do. Because if you, I mean, if you see, if they're doing the same darn thing 15 times in a row, then maybe they're not the right guy. But if they're turning those mistakes to principles, that no may be No doubt about guy. it. And that's... You know, you can you can see it right away. Uh, usually it's one of those things where, you know, a position player makes an error and you may see his head drop for a half a second and then he picks it up and he's forgot about it. He's moved on. You know, he, he's exuding that confidence that you want to see to know that he's not beating himself up. I mean, a Hall of Famer by the name of Jeter made 56 errors one time in A-ball. 56. And you go... Oh my God, you know, and then you, you, you hear some kids, they make one error and you think it's the end of the world or let me see the pitcher in a second and third situation with no outs in a big ball game. How does he handle that pressure? How does he react in that situation? You know, does he put his horns out and compete to the highest degree that he can at that moment? And those things for me, uh, indicate that the mental side of that player entering professional baseball at that point, those are pretty good indicators that he's ready to, uh, ready to go. I got one more and I'll turn it over to Mark. You, you, you touched down here. Talk about the importance of body language oh, man. when you're you watching. You hit a, a nerve there. It's uh for me, I, I want to see a guy who exudes the confidence. When you go to a major league game and you look out on that field, they're there for a reason because they're they know they are the best in the world at what they do. They worked very hard to get to that level to be the best in the world. And when you go around to high schools, colleges, you know, Latin America – the kids who have that confidence factor, man, it stands out like a sore thumb. The old scouts, when I broke in in the late 80s, used to talk about getting to the park early and watching kids get off the bus and, you know, how they carry themselves. And, you know, are they guys that are, 
you know, is their head up? Are they exuding the confidence? Are they walking with a level of confidence? And the body language for me, when something goes negative, how does that player handle it? You know, is it the head drop, the shoulder shrug? You know, is he showing up his teammates? You know, if he's a pitcher and the teammate made an error, or is he a guy that will, hey, I got you here. I'll make a pitch. Pick me up this time when he hits the ball to you. Those type things say a lot about that person, the body language that you read and what type of character and what type of teammate you're dealing with. That was great. Mark, go ahead. You had something. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny. There's, there's things, I mean, Dan can tell you there's guys that have dropped down in the draft that were good players because they showed some of the things he's talking about, you know, and I'm always amazed. They all have agents now. Um, you know, they have uh, advisors and I'm always amazed when I see a top player show some of the negative stuff that Dan talked about when he's got an agent to tell him, Hey, you want to get the most money out, out of this draft? Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't show the umpire up. And the guys continue to do it. Absolutely. That's a really bad sign. Um, you know, and the other thing is, and this goes a little further after they've signed, um, you know, it's really, you know, you've got to try to do the best you can to try to find, you mentioned if they like to play or not, but there are some guys that are so talented, let's say at a high school level that they can just out talent everybody. They can come to a showcase. They can go to the state championship. They just out talent everybody. Everybody gets excited about the guy. But once he gets into pro ball, you learn that the off field means more to him than the on field. And I'm not saying those guys don't get to the big leagues because I've had some. But what you conceive what they could be, they will never be. And that's why sometimes I think, and Dan could speak to this, sometimes you'll see a guy that's a really good young player get traded. And you go, why in the world would they have traded that number one draft pick from two years ago when he's really a good player, got great, great talent? They might have figured out that he didn't really like to play and that he would never be a number one starter. He might be in the big leagues. He might be a bullpen guy eventually. He may have a career, but he'll never be that star that everybody thought he would be. Because he doesn't really no like you know what else, Wiles, to add to that, because I, I a thousand percent concur. When you have some of those guys that, you know, they're they're not the great teammate, and I've never been around a team that's one that has had uh really any, certainly not many, but if any of them, they they get suppressed in the clubhouse. Um, it's just not conducive for winning. And the the teammates see it and for the most part, either call them out or the manager recognizes it and and you move on from it as a general manager in an organization. And it just it's so many days, so many games, there truly is no space for it inside a clubhouse when it's about the team. And if, if you're going to win, it's got to be about the team and you have to put team first. And uh, if you get, as the old saying, don't invite ants to the picnic, enough will show up. Well, that's kind of the, that's kind of the motto uh, where I've been and, and people and teams have won. 
you have people that buy into the concept. And once you have that, your chances of winning are certainly much better. To go to a, a, another question, you know, baseball's had a million changes over your career and mine. Um, what do you see is maybe, you know, one or two of the things that you you really are kind of confused about that we're doing and some that you think are really good. Probably the good biggest things. change for me is the um, the lack of patience with development. Um the money now that's being spent, I, I mean, I understand it. You you want your quickest return on your investment, but it still takes the same amount of time. I mean, every now and then you may get a Miguel Cabrera, you may get a Juan Soto, you may get a, a Josh Beckett, someone who can fly through a system and they don't take as long, but those those guys are very rare. They're, you know it when you see them. They're ultra special, and they become the they become the superstars, the Hall of Famers of a game. It still takes the same time to develop. You need to go through the different stages of development. You need to learn the craft of what it takes to succeed, how you handle the slumps and the inability to execute a pitch when you need to, or, you know, how do I navigate a lineup if I've only got one of three pitches, things like that. And doing it at the highest level is unforgiving. It just, I don't care. Your, your signing bonus is irrelevant. When you get to that level, those guys are the best in the world and they could care less what type of credentials, how much, press you got from so many of these these uh, magazines and things that rank these kids and tell you how great they are from ages 12, 14, whatever. At the big league level, you better come ready to play, ready to perform and understand and have had some failures on how to get out of these things when you run into them. So that for me is probably... Uh, Probably the biggest change. Uh, other things are to do uh, analytically. Uh, I think some of it is good. I think some of it is too much. Um, in the course of a game and the speed of how a game happens, uh, sometimes the old kiss theory, keep it simple, stupid is the best theory. And trying to process some of these things gets a little bit heavy. I think, I think, learning how to shape pitches or different things like that. There, there's a lot of it that can have value. Um, but I also believe that you, you need people who have been there and who've been a part of learning it themselves and doing it themselves to help make the, the education or teaching or coaching to each individual player go much smoother because they too have felt the frustration and they've been a part of trying to learn it at that level. You know, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, there has to be patience and many of the owners, you know, they don't have patience because they read all the same stuff in the periodicals and people tell them how good some young player is in the minor leagues but there's so many things that they have to learn and go through 
during their development that they have to be given time to do that. You know, you mentioned a million times failure. You know, they got to learn how to fail. Some of these guys never failed before in their life. They learn how to deal with it. You know, uh, disappointment, uh, you know, uh, actually playing with somebody at that moment is kind of better than they are. Even though you know as as a scout or a player developing guy that that guy's going to be a superstar right now, the more veteran guy is a better player. Um, those guys have to learn those things. I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to be around Hall of Fame guys, superstar guys from when they started, when they were young kids, yeah. the first day they showed up. And uh, from, the, from the moment when they first showed up to the way they were when they became a star was light years, Maybe. even though we knew they had the talent. So, you know, people, that's where ownership has to trust scouting directors, general managers, assistant general manager, player development directors. They have to trust those guys to know the timing Absolutely. it takes to I, develop. You know, in my career, two guys stick out. I mean, there have been quite a few, but two guys who at an early age of 19 years old, I, I personally have never seen anything like their knowledge of the game. And I'm speaking of Miguel Cabrera and Juan Soto. I've never been around two players who had such an astute understanding of the strike zone. They had a plan. They went into the batter's box with a plan at 19 years old, competing against men much older than they were. And they were so gifted in what they could do in that batter's box. Um, But that's, that's a 35-year career and realistically, two guys over that length of time who have been blessed. I mean, essentially God created two tremendous, tremendous ball players, hitters, and uh, they're, they're the UFOs. I mean, when you see two guys like that do what they do at such an early age, you just sit back and marvel and go, ah, well, you know what? There's a third one, a guy named Griffey Jr. Same thing. Um, I've never seen guys where the game came so easy at that age and their complete understanding and everyone else, it's going to take a little time to get the stuff figured out to be (laughs) the productive guy that they want to be. Well, you know, you know, how many times have you heard those guys names thrown out on a prospect? So unfair. And you go, you go, no, he, he's not Cabrera. He's not Soto. But people want, they just don't understand no how special it. those guys are. Um, you know, you know, we learn from others in our jobs. That's the number one thing that we have to do to be good at what we do. Um, who are some of your top mentors to you? Oh, man, I'm, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, you know what? I think to some degree, especially the longer you stay in the game, Wiles, I think we're all baseball thieves. Um, so much respect and admiration out here for guys that you compete against year after year. And realistically, you competed against them for 30 plus years. Um, when I first broke in, um, there was a gentleman by the name of George Zura, who at that time, uh, when I broke in with Seattle, he was the uh, he was a special assistant to Woody Woodward, who was our general manager. 
And I think God himself went, man, I'm going to have to help this Alabama guy. I'm going to surround him with some, some guys who really understand the game and can be good mentors. And George provided that for me. He, uh, he had a he had a gift to share things and teach things and essentially it was mainly talking about failures that he himself had made he was not one to brag about the success which truly he is a hall of fame uh, he's a hall of famer by all accounts and when i hired with seattle uh, we had a director over there by the name of roger youngward who his list of guys signed is second to none in the history of baseball. Just unbelievable. Um, And he, too, was one of those mentors who had that gift to share things and help you understand, you know, why you wanted to view the game the way that he taught. And he was great to really a young staff up and down the lineup in Seattle, who had a lot of us who went on to hold titles of general manager, scouting director, so many different things. And then probably my third uh, mentor, uh, when I moved, when I took the scouting director's job, moved to uh, moved to St. Petersburg, and through George Zuraw, I met a gentleman who's kind of known as the father of the farm system, and that's George Kissel. And George and I lived not too far from one another, but uh, we had so many winters where we would get together uh, at a place called the Pennsylvania Hotel, where he loved to eat the pork chops. And we would go there, George Zura, George Kissel, and myself, and we would just talk baseball and he would break things down and so many things that he had. One of them, we all refer to it as the baseball Bible, was this black book that he kept with so many uh, of his notes and and things that he had accumulated over 40 years, 50 years. And uh, one day I got the courage to ask him if I could uh, get a copy of that. And he uh, he gave me the book and man, I went right away to one of those copy places, copied it up, and it's still one of my prized possessions. So those three men in their own way, certainly there were many, many others that I could name, but those three, because of their depth of what they shared, how they were thought of in the game, and uh, and the lessons, the, what, the, the way they presented the lessons and the sharing of the knowledge, uh, just really, really blessed. Can you share a nugget oh, out of that? Oh, man, black I'll tell you what. One of the things he's got on there, he has a, a schematic of a field um, that he had broke down about percentages of uh, where bunts, where you place bunts and the percentages that he had kept over the years and the success rate. Uh, there's another page that's attributed to guarding the line late in the game and the percentages of success and failures. Uh, he had certain things broken down about stealing a base, you know, uh, gamble steals, when to go. And, you know, the pitcher, if the pitcher was uh, 1.3 seconds or more and a catcher 2.0 uh, at a 13-foot lead, 
the success rate of, of throwing guys out and just every nuance that you wanted to see. Um, there's a big part in there about developing a switch hitter and certain things with that. And it's uh, it truly is one of my prized possessions. And the, the greatest part was, is I got to live it live with him as he would go through, you know, each individual page and we would sit some days for four hours and it seemed like 20 minutes. Uh, these these guys were just a abs- They were Google before Google. <laughs> they, they had one thing in common. They're all some of the Amen most humble guys you'd ever meet. You know, people in professional athletics, you know, I've always – you know, you have uh, you have respect for a lot of people who have done a lot of things, but you always have a little more respect for the guy that's not only done it, yes. but he's humble about it. And he appreciates other people's opinions. And they listen, and even though they should be the only one talking in a room sometimes. They're, they listen and they give everybody their due. I, that no makes doubt. those guys fall the There was a time, Wiles, in our game, and I, it saddens me that it's not that way now, or certainly that, where experience was revered because the people, as you allude to, were so humble. All they wanted to do was share with you the knowledge that they had picked up along the way. And you go back so, so much of our game, as I said before, you know, we're all baseball thieves. But when you hear it coming from a Zura or a young word or uh, Kissel and they put it to life with their experiences of what they had, how they tried it, how this failed and that failed, but then ultimately this worked because they did X, Y, or Z, man, you, that, that's invaluable. You cannot place a, you can't place a price on what that means to develop people as they go forward in this industry. Well, you know, the, the, the sad thing is, is that some of that's, you know, the appreciation for that experience has waned a lot in today's game. And, and it's, it's really sad because some of the things, you know, it, it reflects itself in some of the negative things that you see happen in the game today, because those guys didn't have the experienced coaches, scouts to scout them, to give them, you know, uh, the right direction to go when they become a major league player. So some of these guys, you know, they haven't been around those experienced people that we were, we all were to where we didn't make a fool out of ourselves. Um, you know, who are, where it was corrected in the minor leagues before they got to the major leagues. You know, not only are the guys moving faster now, but they're not getting the experience no doubt teaching about. that they no. used to get. I can relate to that firsthand. When I went from the general manager's chair down to the field, and uh, you learn, I, I have always, always had the utmost respect for the game and the players and certainly the manager and coaches at that level. And uh, you learn real quick that the farther you are away from that field, the easier the game looks. The closer you get, it gets fast. It's very difficult. And 
you you truly find that there's so many nuances when you crawl in that foxhole with those players and that staff that um you know dropping in the clubhouse every day as a gm or farm director scouting director and spending 20 minutes that's good because you're communicating and you you know you you know things but living it day in and day out the absolute greatest education i could have ever got that you couldn't buy just a unbelievable experience and education and personally for me just punctuated what I had always felt and that is the respect level that I have for those who do it at the top level. Well see that that that's something that I felt probably the first time I met you when I was a field pitching coach. A major league pitching coach, you know, over the years I was a pitching coach in several different organizations and and there's always there's front office guys that get it. They understand the difficulty. They understand that, you know, uh, you know, the players don't feel the same way every day. Um, you know, they they get it. They their losses, they take losses the same way as the field staff do. Then there's other guys that don't. They think it's easier game. Well, why don't you just tell him to do it? <laughs> yeah. I, that makes me laugh, you know. But there's guys like that. But there's guys like you, Dan, that always understood, you know, what we went through, that it wasn't a perfect, you know, nobody's a perfect coach. Nobody's a perfect player. You want to get the most out of the guy on a daily basis, some days a little bit more than others. But the consistency that you can get the guy to perform at is what you're shooting for. But too many people think it's just so easy. You know, it's the old armchair quarterback thing. Where you know people are watching games on TV and they well why don't they do that I mean hey I sit there and watch I have to catch myself mm. now when I watch a game because I'll see a pitcher set a guy up and I'll see him pick a different pitch the wrong pitch in the wrong area and give up a rocket and I'll go didn't he realize that he just needed to get the ball to the outside part of the plate the way he had the guy set up you know it seems like a video no doubt game about it. it it's um. That, that for me, uh, honestly, was one of the more enjoyable things um, that I had the privilege and the, the honor to do was put that uniform on, go down with that staff and the players, you know, and I realized that some people said and thought what they wanted to, and I, and I respect that too because there's a lot of guys that, great baseball guys that never had that opportunity that could have and should have. Um, but I will say that one of the lessons that I took away while I was down there was how hard major league coaches actually work. And that's one of those things that you don't know by popping in for 20 minutes. Um, I was blessed to have some outstanding coaches on that staff. And when I got to see the day in, day out of the amount of hours that major league coaches put in the, not only are you a coach, you're a psychologist, you know, that especially where the hitters are concerned because somebody's always in a funk as a hitting guy. And 
I, I was blessed with Frankie Minichino there. I had Chuck Hernandez and Reed Cornelius as the pitching guys. Just absolutely could not have made the transition any smoother or better. And uh, we actually set, and I, I give Chuck and, and Reed uh, the lion's share of the credit for this because we set with the Marlins a couple of uh, monthly ERA um, records in the history of that organization. And they did such a great job with that bullpen, getting them prepared, having them ready. You know, DJ, we've used this guy three days in a row. He's not available. He's not available. And it's things that you really, when you're sitting upstairs in the booth, you know, why didn't they bring in Jones right here to face Smith? Well, Jones wasn't available, but these are things that really the fan base, you know, you don't know until you're in that dugout. And so to live that. Yeah, yes. that's, and that's yes. the hardest and thing. It, you know, handling pitching is one of the one most of, difficult One of the, my proudest things about my time down there, and I forget what they call the uh, – it was a chart that ranks the – uh, bullpen usage by each team that particular year. And uh, we finished third that year in our usability of the bullpen. And like I said, Chuck and Reed did such a fabulous, fabulous job of making me aware of certain things. And quite honestly, that job as a manager, once you understand your bullpen and know who you can bring in in traffic, know who needs to start an inning fresh, you know, those type things certainly help it to make that, make the job much uh, more understandable. Uh, it's not an easy job. There's no way to make it an easy job, but it allows it to be more understandable on how to use people. One of the lessons I had to learn was not to lose tomorrow's game today when you're getting blown out 12 to two. Sometimes you just have to wear it and go, man, there'll be better days ahead. And all of that evolved over the time, but boy, oh boy, early, it was, uh, it was extremely fast. And uh, I, I compared it one time to driving in a car on the interstate and you look out your windshield and things look slow. And then you turn and look out your side window and it's flying by. Well, that's exactly what it was like that first week uh, as a manager. <laughs> Dan, you've been a part of so many winners, uh, different levels, different organizations. Not to oversimplify, but what are some of the common threads wow. between those winners? Um, first of all, there's somebody, somebody that becomes the alpha male inside a clubhouse. Um, and they kind of, you know, I, I – related to the director of an orchestra and you know you got you got to have great leadership from your manager from your general manager all of those things but make no mistake inside that clubhouse is where the action occurs and so there's always that person or person sometimes it's more than one who direct that orchestra and if it's the right people preaching the right message that the guys in there respect, then you see them jump on board and they follow. And man, when you get that, it's tough to beat. 
there has to be buy-in of team first mentality. When you have it, hard to beat. And then the last thing, and it again, this game is about the players. And anyone who forgets that at any time, you have to step back and go, wait a minute. This is who the fans pay to see. This is what the game is about. These guys have worked their fannies off to get that opportunity to get to this level. And the talent they possess is why they are the best in the world. But the talent takes you to a certain level. And then there is that internal drive and makeup that allows the great teams to come together and achieve the ultimate goal. And that's winning and hopefully getting into the postseason and, and winning the big prize. Nice. Mark, we've had Dan here for gosh, almost close to an hour now. Um, don't want to keep him here too long, but uh, what kind of questions have we covered yet with him? Uh, I have one more question and that's uh you know, there's so many, you know, showcases now with players, young players, uh, you know, parents trying to make the right decisions for their development. Um, what's some of the advice you give a young player, the parents, um, about dealing with these things and, and trying to be the best player you can mm. be as a young guy? Um, if you're talking about high school age there, learn the craft. You know, it's sad to me, Wiles, that we've kind of created a showcase mentality. And I understand it. People want to, you know, it's like a beauty pageant. The the pretty girls want to, you know, they want to show their their beauty and their talents and the the skills. Showcase baseball is the same thing. You want to show how hard you can throw or how far you can hit a ball Those things have a place and they're good to get recognition. They're not good when you get in a position where you have to go out and play and perform. Learn the craft. Learn the nuances of the game. And probably the biggest piece of advice that I can give is respect the game. If you respect the game, you'll do the little things. You'll find someone in and around your hometown or home, you know, county that can help you, that's probably played at a higher level, that can, you know, help show you the proper way to throw a breaking ball or at least get you in the bullpen and get you to experiment with different things that can help you do it. But if you respect the game, the game will show respect back to you. But if not, it's going to humble you. And I would say to parents, expect that. Expect your son or daughter to be humble. It's not the end of the world. You know, all illness is not death. When you when you learn how to handle those failures and truly learn from them, realizing that everything is not going to be perfect for you as a player, as an athlete then you give yourself the best chance to become the best version of yourself. I love that. That's that's, there's no better way to to end the show than that. Mark, awesome job today as usual with bringing baseball knowledge and baseball etiquette and baseball approach to our, our 9,000 faithful 
listeners and subscribers, and that'll definitely go up today. DJ, we could have you on for hours. We appreciate this is your second time on the show. You were man on second uh, with Joe Frazero first and now with with Mark, and, and we'll get Will back next week. But we appreciate you. Thanks so much for being open and honest with us and, and just sharing uh, with our young fans out there, too, on how to become better baseball players. Um, for our listeners, don't forget, download, listen, like, subscribe. We're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. We offer no ads, no sponsorships, so we can give you straight knowledge. Uh, you got DJ for almost an entire hour today straight with no ads tweaking in. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're on there. Follow Coach and Kernan on those. And if you'd like to support our hosts like Mark Wiley, Will George, go on Pratheon.com. Make a donation. Keep these guys rolling six shows a week on Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. And these guys work really hard, and we're able to get special assistant to the Washington Nationals on our show today with, with Dan Jennings. And, Dan, thanks again Thank so you, much. Thank you, Dave and Wiles. I love talking baseball with you guys. I, I can't believe it's been an hour. It feels like 10 minutes. So been a fun, uh been a fun podcast, and I appreciate you guys having me a part of it. Anytime. Mark, any last words for our audience? Well, I'm just so, so glad we, we got some insights that I think are really valuable for our listeners from Dan. He's wore a lot of hats. He's done a lot of things. He's got an unbelievable network of people. He's had unbelievable mentors. These are things that can can help anybody in in their strive to be better in baseball. And I hope our audience gets this. These are two very accomplished men in baseball and in life. And you heard the word respect come out of their mouths, not just for the game, but for each other. And I think that's a clear message our audience has to get today. There's a sense of reverence that both Mark and and DJ have for not just the game, but one another. And that humility that was brought up several times during the show today, uh, take that message back to your teams, take it to your teammates, take it to your, your brothers and sisters and, and let that carry on. Cause that goes a long way. We appreciate you guys. Thanks so much Thank for you. being who you are. Thanks Dan, Dave.